The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welger. You are listening to episode 203 of the podcast, or you're joining us live potentially on Facebook or YouTube. Today is Sunday, August 2nd. It's already August. This this year is just flying by, uh, despite the quarantine seeming to to slow everything down. But um, I, I guess it's been interesting enough that, that it's been passing the time as well a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world uh, including ufc fight nights back in las vegas fight island is over for now we had Derek brunson versus edmund shabazia middleweight prospects here contenders rather before we get into that let me introduce my co-host who's keeping me up late on a sunday night all the way from sweltering new jersey jeff the animal wilson Jeff, how are you feeling on this Sunday, like almost midnight, my friend? Bill, I'll be all right. I got a cup of coffee. We're ready to go, Bill. I don't have to work tomorrow, so I don't care if I stay up all night. You're the one who's got the kid and, and a job, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's two jobs. Um, drinking coffee at 10 p.m. I can't remember the last time I did that. It had to be college, uh, like pulling all-nighters and stuff. Um yeah, man, the, the kiddo is wearing me down. Um, it, they call it terrible twos. And I always thought it was like parents exaggerating. Uh, my daughter had a 15-minute tantrum before bed tonight because she wanted bread. Um, and it was like, it, it, I treated it like it was nothing. Like, no, you can't have bread. You, it's It's bedtime. Like, kicking and pounding the floor in the bedroom just screaming bread over and over again and i knew i couldn't give her the bread because you know once she digests it and her body turns the carbs into sugar um you know she's gonna be up all night so just had to weather the storm but kind of a funny thing jeff she's been waking up uh, earlier and earlier and she the way she woke me up this morning it's always something different I, I never know like what kind of mood she's gonna be in but sometimes she's in like a funny mood when she wakes me up so jeff are you familiar with the movie frozen no never watched it okay so i'll have to give you a little backstory because i'm assuming a lot of people who listen to the show haven't seen the movie either so frozen takes place in norway <laughs> well people with kids have seen it so Frozen takes place in Norway, Jeff, and, and it's about, you know, these two princesses and their parents die, and one of them has magic powers. Like, the parents are always dead in these Disney movies. I don't know why, like, these, these Disney movies are supposed to be so cheerful and uplifting, but there's always dead parents. Um, so in any case, parents die, and... Uh, the one has powers and she doesn't want to hurt anybody with the powers. So she goes and hides away in the mountains and the other sister tries to bring her back. Um, you, you know, that's the long and short of it. They, they meet a magic snowman along the way uh, who can talk and sing and, and stuff like that. 
but there's a small character and I, I'm big on the small characters, Jeff. I love, I love like character actors in, in movies like Steve Buscemi is one of my favorite actors of all time. And, and, and mostly for the smaller roles that he's played. Um, so there's a small part for this guy and his name is Oaken. And he runs like a little shop in the middle of a mountain. And it, it, it's such a small scene. He's only in the movie for like less than five minutes. But he's the only one in the movie with a Norwegian accent, Jeff. And that kind of bothers me because the movie takes place in Norway. And, and the two, all the main characters are like Norwegian people. And only this one guy, the shop owner, has a Norwegian accent. So like people come in the door and he goes, yoo-hoo. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> like very, very stereotypical Norwegian sounding dude. So he's like, yoo-hoo, big summer blowout. And meanwhile, there's a, there's a snowstorm going on throughout the whole movie. So like why he's selling bathing suits and stuff is kind of the joke. But then he has a sauna as well. And his family is in the sauna. And he's like, oh, I'll give you a free trip to my sauna. Yoo-hoo, hello, family. And then it, it pans over to the sauna and you see a bunch of kids and stuff in there. And they all go, yoo-hoo. <laughs> so <laughs> the way Ariana woke me up this morning, she's shaking me. And in my ear, she's yelling, yoo-hoo, family. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I turn over and... And she knows I'm miserable. She knows I'm tired because she'll tell me in the morning, like, Daddy, you tired? All right, get up. <laughs> so this morning she shakes me. She goes, yoo-hoo, family. <laughs> and I turn over and she just starts laughing in my face, like mocking me that she's waking me up so early and doing it by impersonating a bit character in a Disney movie. <laughs> so then I wake up and then I see her go over to my wife and shake her and yell in her ear, yoo-hoo, family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. In any case, I, I guess Mark is upset because he said he tuned in for MMA talk and he gets a bedtime story. Yeah, well, you know, I got to uh, gotta explain where we're at, Mark, because I'm up at 6.30 in the morning and now it's uh, – it's a little after 10 p.m. here on the East Coast. So I'm running on fumes and bourbon. Michter's bourbon, small batch. Um, I'm gonna need this to to get me through this episode. Uh I I got a little I got a little jolt. I, I had to get the the Disney story out of my system uh to to get the the gears turning. But we're gonna talk some MMA here now. Um Jeff, did I not tell you last week? That Derek Brunson was going to put an end to this hype train. Oh, you did. You did. Of, for sure. And then Shabazian. I don't know why so many people were counting him out. It, it seemed like, you know, the obvious thing is, is that they were trying to build Shabazian up, and rightfully so. You know, undefeated kid, young, had, had the potential to be fighting for a title. Of, you know, one of the youngest to ever fight for a title was going after John Jones's record. Um, I just didn't see what tools he would bring to the table to deal with a patient Derek Brunson. And that was the distinction I made last week, Jeff. Now, when Derek Brunson doesn't get into a brawl and go flying across the cage, um, 
he's a dangerous man. I mean, his dirty boxing, his clinch work, his wrestling, and even his straight up striking has improved, especially since working with Henry Hooft moving to Florida. Um, you know, division two, all American wrestler, uh, you know, there's not a lot of guys in that division who can wrestle with him, uh, especially with the way he mixes it up. So he came out patient. And as soon as I saw that, I knew that he would just have to weather a little bit of a storm from Shabazian and he would take over. I don't know if I even saw it being that dominant though, Jeff, where uh, I mean that, that second round was a 10, seven round in my opinion. And it, I think it should have been stopped at the end of that round. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to come after Herb Dean about it. I'm sure Dan Hardy was somewhere throwing a chair at his television during this fight, <laughs> yelling it, cursing it. He's just going full Karen in his living room, yelling at Herb Dean <laughs> through the TV. Um, he, you know, I think it was okay that he let it go on, but Shabazzin couldn't really get back to his feet at the end of the round. And when he sat on his stool, he kind of fell backwards and hit his head on the cage. Like at that point, I thought it was over. And even when the doctor was talking to him and he's holding himself up on the cage, like, uh, don't let that kid go back out there, man. I mean, he's tough and he's going to do it as long as you let him. Um, but don't let him. Uh, so give me your thoughts on this main event here, kid. Did it unfold the way you saw it unfolding? Yeah, dude, I, I was with you, and, you know, I was in the same boat thinking, why are people counting out Derek Brunson, dude? I mean, look at his hair. He dyed it the color of a gold medal. <laughs> so he's coming for UFC gold, Bill. Um, dude, so excited for Derek Brunson to get that win. Uh, you know, his he's got a resume of middleweight legends that he's fought. I think Leota Machida's in there, Anderson Silva, and, you know, a bunch of others that I can't remember off the top of my head. But, dude, like you said, Derek Brunson, very patient in that first round. You know, he took some damage. He took a couple of big shots, but able to stay calm and, you know, able to implement the game plan in the second round, use the distance really well, confused Edmund Shabazzian with the wrestling. Dude, that wrestling was beautiful, man. That uh, that uh, sweep to the far leg, and then when he turned him and got him to the ground, that was beautiful, man. That was mm -hmm. textbook. And, you know, super technical wrestling. And, dude, the aggression on the ground. Calculated aggression. You know, picking his shots. Knowing that he was landing the big shots at the end of that second round. And, you know, I didn't really want to give her Dean a hard time because I thought he went about it the right way. You know, it was right at the end of the round. So he calls in the doctor, lets him, lets Shabazian get checked out. And it didn't go for too much longer in the third round. Um, I think there were no shots thrown by Shabazian in that third round. Yeah. So immediately Herb Dean stopped it. So kudos to him on that. But, man, dude, um, you know, Shabazian is a tough kid. But you could see in between that second and third round that – he did not want to be in there anymore, man. He was, like you said, leaning. Sorry, excuse me. In his stool, he's leaning up against the cage, like mm -hmm. for support. You know, I don't know. If maybe her Dean didn't see it. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't see that because um, you know he did end up sitting up properly at one point. Probably realized his body language was giving something away. So you know, huge credit to um, to Brunson here, man, because. I don't know why, but the Vegas odds were not in his favor. So if you bet on Derek Brunson, one, you are a smart man. And two, you're probably a pretty wealthy man this week. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I wish I had thrown a couple of bucks on Brunson because I had such a good feeling about it. And you know me, Jeff, I don't even, I don't even like to give picks. I, I tend to think about what's the path to victory for either guy or girl. Um, and that's the way I kind of analyze fights, you know, whether I, whether I like a fighter or I'm cheering for them or whatever, I always try and see, you know, what's the path here. And as far as the path for Shabazian, I only saw it being Derek Brunson making mistakes and trying to engage in a brawl and Shabazian would hit him with those straight shots down the pipe uh, and maybe one of those high kicks. But um, outside of that, I, I didn't see Shabazian hanging with Brunson at all. So I didn't really understand uh, you know, why everybody was acting like Derek Brunson was, was being led to slaughter here. Uh, but, it, you know, he kind of proved that point. And, um, you, you know, I was happy to see that for him. This is a guy who, you know, has been at the top of the division for such a long time. And, and like you said, the resume speaks for itself. His only losses really are to, you know, the current champ, Israel Adesanya, uh, the former champ, Robert Whitaker. He has a, a loss to the former champ, Anderson Silva, but I think most people are in agreement that Brunson won that fight and the decision went to Silva. Um, you, you know, in case anybody forgot that and you're just looking at his resume on paper. And then uh, I believe there's a loss to Yoel Romero in there. And then, you know, the last person who wasn't a, a champion or a title contender that he lost to, I think, was Kendall Grove, like early on in his UFC career. Um, that's just off the top of my head. I'd have to take a look at it. But yeah, excellent performance by Brunson. You could tell too, once Shabazian's typical tools weren't working, even when Brunson was in on the single leg in the first round and Shabazian was going for his his down elbows to the head that that have uh, you know resulted in a knockout for him in the past, that wasn't working because Brunson kind of turned his shoulder into it and didn't hang on to the leg too long, just took him down. Um, you, you know, I always talk about how it's dangerous to hang on to a single leg for that reason, because you don't have either of your hands to block strikes. So if you can't finish or chain it into a double or chain it into a body lock, chain it into something else, you got to let that leg go. Um, but Brunson was able to just finish it. And, um, you know, from there on out, you kind of see Shabazian lose confidence uh, hopefully he bounces back. This is his first professional loss. Um, the camp that he comes from does not have a great record of undefeated fighters bouncing back from their first loss. Um, I'm speaking candidly about Ronda Rousey here, uh, training under Edmund Tarvidian. Um, but this is a young kid. Um, you know, he had to, it's unfortunate for him that he had to get his first loss on the biggest stage in the world, you know, with a lot of eyes on it. Uh, that's going to make it a little bit tougher. But from what I've seen from him post-fight, it looked like he put a very humble message out there uh, saying that he had no excuses and congratulating Brunson. Um, so I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to bounce back from this one. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, you know, it seems like rational. You know, that's how rational people react to loss. They don't go home and cry about it. But yeah. Well, maybe for a little bit, but, uh, you know, uh, after they kind of regroup, uh, reassess what didn't work and, you know, go back to the drawing board and figure something new out. So, you know, and Shabazzian's young, dude. Uh, he's got his whole career ahead of him. You know, there's no doubt that he's going to be a bright star one day in the UFC. You know, 
Brunson's a tough dude. He's a tough matchup for anybody. So I think that what Shabazi needs to do is kind of, uh, you know, work on his grappling a little bit. Um, you know, he still has so much room for development and growth. You know, the sky's the limit for this guy. You mm-hmm. know, you know, one loss, yes, it's a setback, but the kid's still a stud. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's definitely talented. Um, I think it was just a little bit too much too soon. And it was just a case of that. Um, now he's in kind of a weird spot because he's he's ranked in the UFC. Uh, you kind of seen like he didn't develop enough to hang with the upper echelon of the division. So it's like you can't really tank too much lower in competition in his next fight. Uh, so he's going to have to learn on the job. But, uh, you know, I, I'm confident. It seems like he's dedicated his life to this. I'm confident he'll be able to bounce back from this one for sure. Um Let's get into this co-main event, which was uh, uh, another pretty one-sided fight. Jennifer Maya uh, getting the victory over Joanne Calderwood. Um, I, I thought this was a risky fight going into this one for Calderwood because she was kind of the only person in the conversation to get in there with Valentina. And um, I, I think she maybe could have waited out for that title shot, but you know she wanted to prove that she's a true fighter, and, and she took on... Uh, a really tough contender in Maya and it didn't go her way. Uh, you and I were texting about the, the finish here in the arm bar, how she had basically gotten herself out of it. She cleared the elbow and then it looked like she put her arm back in, but then I had to rewatch it a couple of times. Maya actually yanked her arm back in and then tucked it under her armpit. Uh, to get extra leverage, it, it was really a nasty finish, Jeff. Give me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, dude. I I'll be honest with you, Bill. I thought this would be more of a stand-up fight from what I've seen from Jennifer Maya, but she's also a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and that you know, no matter where the fight is on the ground, whether you're in top position or bottom position, that's got to be in the back of your head. And mm-hmm. John Alderwood did a good job. She stepped. She put her knee over uh, Maya's face was able to kind of step over the armbar and it looked like she was out uh, out of the armbar I mean. and you know I gotta go back and watch it again because it looked to me like she kind of made a misstep and didn't pull her arm out when she could have but if Maya pulled it back in uh, and with the strength that she's developed from grappling mm-hmm. you know, Joanne Calderwood was doomed from the start um, and it looked to me Bill, like she was doomed as soon as that armbar as soon as those legs came up on her shoulders and started looking for that arm bar, um, it, it just, you know, Maya just looked comfortable attacking off her back. And, mm-hmm. you know, John Calderwood, she's no slouch as a grappler either. You know, her grappling's developed really well since she entered the UFC. But, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt is always such a tough order, such a tall order to, to be asked of. And, you know, John Calderwood, she knew the risk going in, man. Uh, you know, she didn't want to wait for the title shot. Uh, you know, I don't blame her. She wanted to stay active, wanted to prove that she's a real contender. But, Bill, you know, if the reward for winning this fight is to get smashed up by Valentina Shevchenko, I mean, what is Joanne Calderwood really losing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good point. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about Maya now possibly stepping in against Shevchenko because there's, there's nobody else but... Um, I, I don't know that she's necessarily deserving even after this this fantastic performance here. Uh, you know, her last fight was in November 
and it was a loss to Caitlin Chukagian. And before that, her last win was over Roxanne Modafferi a year ago, July 2019, and she missed weight for that fight. So um, I don't think a title shot should be next for Maya, but I don't, I don't know who else is there. The other thing I want to point out, too, is, yeah, a lot of people, I think, think of Maya as the uh, – as a striker because she's a shoot to box fighter and obviously the shoot to box gym is known for being some of the most vicious strikers on the planet. You know, Vanderlei Silva, Shogun Hua, uh, guys like that, uh, you know, made that aggressive Muay Thai style, very famous back in the pride days. But yeah, she's actually got more submission victories, uh, than knockouts. Um, and, and, one other thing I didn't like seeing from Calderwood on the feet was um, she wasn't moving her head. And I know she comes from a more traditional Muay Thai. And I, I'm going to talk about this a couple of times uh, as we go down this car, because I saw a lot of issues with head movement. Um, in traditional Muay Thai, Jeff, uh, head movement's not a big deal because you don't want to move your head into kicks. The, the highest points you can get from Muay Thai Traditional Muay Thai in Thailand is is kicks. Those are the biggest points. The next biggest points are trips and throws. Um, and, and then after that, it's elbows and knees. And at the very bottom of the list is punches. So it, if you're trained in traditional Muay Thai, you don't work a lot of head movement to avoid punches. Uh, but when you're facing... So it's not exactly Muay Thai versus Muay Thai here because of the shoot box style of Muay Thai from Brazil is very punching heavy, as we've seen, you know, from guys like Vanderlei Silva. Um, so they do have the head movement. So Calderwood just couldn't get her head away from those punches. Um, and then, she, you know, she wasn't getting the better of it on the feet, so she wanted to take it to the ground. And, um, you, you know, that's the way it went from there. Well, what do you think about Maya in terms of the title shot with with uh, Valerie um, Valentina? You think it's just like she's got to be next or or she still doesn't deserve it? We got to see something else. Me personally, I, I want to see something else. But at the same time, you can't give it to Calderwood now coming off a loss. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, don't, I don't know what you do now, man. And, you know, outside of that, not a lot of people are raising their hands to fight Shevchenko. Uh, For sure. She's just a monster, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's not a title shot, I would imagine maybe a rematch with Caitlin Chukagian. Um, you know, that's her last loss. Uh, Chukagian's coming off a win. So, but she's not ready to get back in there with Shevchenko either. So maybe you put those two in there together. Um, I don't know, man. It, I don't know if it's a good problem or not to have such a dominant champion. Um, but here we are. Um, okay, so one of the one of the more exciting fights on a card as well. Vicente Luque uh, getting the second round knockout win over Randy Brown. Um, I saw a lot of things that I liked from Randy Brown in this fight. Uh, his hand speed and his hands looked fantastic. Um, probably the best I've seen his hands looked. Here's what I didn't like, Jeff. He's the longer, rangier fighter, and he was the one closing the distance in the fight, allowing Luque to counter-strike. Um, it's like he was doing half the work for him because when you're the shorter fighter, 
you know, it's your goal, especially if you're the shorter, more powerful fighter, it's your goal to close the distance and get in there to land some of those big shots. Um, if the taller, rangier fighter is keeping you at bay with jabs and teeps, it's going to make it hard to close that distance. But if the longer ranger fighter is the one stepping in and stepping in and hesitating, um, you know, that's just, that's just serving up those big shots from Luke um, on a silver platter. Um, and that's what happened. It was also an unfortunate ending to the fight where, you know, there were Luke had Brown clinched up against the cage. Randy Brown tried to ground himself. So in other words, he tried to put his hand on the mat so he could not be kneed in the head. And Luke just pulled his hand up off the mat, hit him with a big knee. And it was lights out from there for Randy Brown. Um, like I said, I did see a lot of things that I liked from Randy Brown here, but um, you know, just, just some little things um, that I would have liked to see a little bit different. And I, I think he's going to learn a lot from this fight. This is, you know, a big step up in competition for him. Obviously, Luke, one of the toughest guys in the division. Uh, let me know if there's anything I missed, Jeff. No, I think you hit it on the head. And, you know, Randy Brown, another young fighter, um, known more for his grappling. But, yeah, his striking's coming along well. Uh, you know, we talked about this as well yesterday. I would have liked um, Brown to just keep his his hands up a little bit more. You know, we saw, we were talking about this yesterday. He was dropping his hand a little bit. Um, but, Bill, I thought what Vicente Luque did was genius, man. Uh, you know, uh, instead of, you know, having Randy Brown use those rules to keep from getting meat in the face, he said, nope. So he yanked him up and, and need him. It was perfectly legal. Uh, you know, that's just uh, good technique. That That's very good octagon awareness as well. And, dude, Luke proved why he's the silent assassin, man. He's a killer in there. But I think that he did waste his call out. Uh, I don't think the fight with Nate Diaz is going to happen. Um, I would have liked for him to ask for someone a little bit more realistic. Uh, I don't see Diaz getting off the couch uh, to fight Luke. Yeah, isn't that wild? He calls out a guy ranked below him, and that's not realistic. Um, <laughs> it's crazy, but I, I totally agree with you. I don't think the Nate Diaz fight is going to happen. And it's not because Nate Diaz is afraid to fight him, right. but Nate Diaz is – you know, he's a big name. He's a big draw. He's he's one of the biggest stars in the game. You kind of need somebody that equals his star power to get in there to get him out of bed at this point. Uh, you know, he's sitting on a couple of million. Uh, he's a very minimalist kind of guy. Uh, he's smart with his money. He's running his school out in Stockton. Um, you know, he doesn't need to be getting in there with any killers when it's not a name that's equal to his, but yeah, just, I want to rewind real quick and talk about the grounding. I think this is why it would actually be safer if you could knee a downed opponent, uh, which used to be legal back in pride, because in a situation like that, you wouldn't have somebody reaching both hands down to the mat, exposing their head. He would be protecting his head the entire time, trying to fight the clinch. And, you know, even if he did go to his knees, uh, you know, you got to try and recover guard or something or grab a hold of a leg so you're not being neat on the ground. Um, I know it looks really brutal, but I think overall it would be safer if the knees to a grounded opponent were legal. Um, you know, it, it would definitely change a lot of strategy. Um, you know, there probably would be a lot more knockouts from that at first, and it would look really uh, gruesome. But I think as as guys and girls adapted – you would actually see it start to be safer 
because a situation like this, Randy Brown is completely taking away his own defense to try and uh, play to the rules here. Um, you, you know, obviously the safer thing to do there also is to take a knee, put your knee to the mat. That way you can still protect your face with something. Um, but yeah, this is something that we see quite often where, where guys will try and touch the mat with their hands so that they're grounded and they can't be kneed in the face. I think if you take that away, um, you're going to see a safer sport overall. Uh, any other thoughts on that before we move on to the fight of the night here, kid? No, fun fight. Let's move on. I'll let you take the lead on this one. Rematch between Bobby Green and Lando Venata. The first one went to a draw. Uh, this one, not even close to a draw. Uh, one one judge even gave Bobby Green um, a 10-8 round in there, and I'm not mad at that at all. Uh, give me your thoughts, kid. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. This fight was super exciting, dude. Lando Venata had his moments, but, dude, Bobby Green just on another level, able to mix it up really well. But, man, the work he put in on the feet, you know, the output was great all, all over the – all throughout three rounds. And, you know, Venata just didn't have it. You know, Bobby Green's got his number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I saw a lot of a lot of things like, let these guys fight on every card until one of them retires and, and <laughs> stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, they, you know, they put on exciting fights. They both have exciting styles. They both come out, you know, with their hands at their hips. Uh, I'm going to circle back to the head movement I was talking about. Um, Venata had the opposite problem as Collarwood because he was moving his head a lot, except when he was getting punches thrown at it. Uh, so he was moving his head all over the place and trying to be a moving target. But when Bobby Green was throwing, he would freeze and he was taking the punches. Uh, so he was moving his head for the sake of moving his head and trying to be a, a moving target. But he wasn't moving his head to evade the punches. And that's a that's a big detail I picked up on as I was watching this fight. And it was the basics of Bobby Green that really came through against more of the flashy um, striking style of Venata. And also the takedowns from Bobby Green, man, perfectly timed. Uh, he was seeing everything coming, and he was just able to time his strikes, time his takedowns. Um, you, you know, he really had a solid game plan to put together and he stuck to it, dropped Venata a couple of times, that short elbow that he caught him with in the second round that put him down. Um, just beautiful work from Bobby Green. And it, it's good to see him, you know, kind of figuring it out because he was a guy who was just a wild man uh, when he first came to the UFC. And it was like he was going out there and knock somebody out or get knocked out himself. And now he's starting to be a little bit more cerebral about it. You heard him talking after the fight saying, I want to pay off my house. I'm doing this for my kids. I want them to see the legacy, you know, the lion's blood they have pumping through their veins. Um, you, you could see he's actually um, thinking things through a little bit more. I think he's with a better camp now. Um, yeah, man, he put a, put a rest to uh, any debate there was about that draw in the last fight. Yeah, dude. And, you know, even though it wasn't a draw, it was just as exciting. You know, the domination from from green but venata had his points too dude um like you said i would love to see these guys fight every weekend mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it, it's funny too because venata was this guy who i i don't think there's been in recent men memory anybody like him in that he came in and his stock rose so much taking a loss in his debut to tony ferguson 
because he almost knocked Tony Ferguson out in the first round of that fight. So he takes that loss, and then he has that nasty spinning kick knockout over John McDessie. He basically did to John McDessie what John McDessie does to other people. And then it's been like a mixed bag of losses and draws, um, but they've all been insanely entertaining fights. You know, the, the loss of David Tamer, the draw with Bobby Green, the loss to Jakar Close, the draw with Matt Frivola. Um, all of those were really entertaining fights. Um, but I don't know if it's really sustainable uh, for a career because he took a lot of damage in those fights. He's not racking up a, a win streak that's propelling him towards uh, title contention, but people do still want to see him fight. Um, so I would like to see him, you know, maybe kind of figure something out here, maybe, you know, take on some lesser opponents and, and, and get some wins under his belt, get some confidence back so we could see, see this guy, um, you know, succeed and, and see his success in the UFC matches popularity, so to speak. Yeah. Bill, do you think a change in camp might be helpful for Lando Venato? What do you think? Uh, I'm not totally sure who he's with right now. I'm typically not too big on, uh, I'm not too big on changing camps. So he's out in he's out in your neck of the woods, Jeff. He's at, in uh, Tom's river. Um, oh, so he's probably training with Frankie Edgar and Claudia Gadelia and those guys. So that's a, that's a pretty good camp. Could be. Yeah. I'm not too big on the changing camp thing because then you got to learn a whole new system. Um, and, and then it kind of distracts, it kind of distracts from the introspection you should be doing. Like instead of looking at yourself and like, what do I need to do different? How do I need to be listening to my coaches differently? And it turns into like, these coaches aren't benefiting me. Um, I would be doing better if I had better coaches. Once you start to get into that mentality, it's a slippery slope, you know? Um, I like to see people uh, stick with who got him to the dance. You know, he got to the UFC for doing certain things with the people that he was with. Um, and, and he just needs to make some adjustments and I think he'll figure it out. There are exceptions, of course, you know, obviously, uh, Derek Brunson ha has looked fantastic since hooking up with Henry Hooft. Um, you know, TJ Dillashaw kind of took things up to the next level when he left team alpha male. Um, you, you know, sometimes it's just, you start out a place where you, your things just aren't clicking and you need um, you need a, a change of scenery or something. But, yeah, man. Um, so four other fights on this card, and I'll, I'll kind of run over them here. We had the, uh, the knockout of Frankie Science by Jonathan Martinez, who did miss weight, I believe, but looked fantastic in this fight. Uh, Joseph Maness with the unanimous decision over Johnny Munoz. There was a point deduction in that fight. I think the only point deduction on the night, despite a lot of low blows throughout this card, Jeff. I mean, this is one of the shortest cards in UFC history. And I think, I, I think they were up there for the record of, of most low blows. Uh, the action had to be stopped uh, quite a few times for some genital battering. Um, Jamal Emerson. Unanimous decision over Vince Cachero and then a draw in the first fight of the night between Chris Gutierrez and Cody Durden. So out of those four fights, Jeff, give me uh, what stood out to you the most. Oh, dude. Um, definitely, definitely the opener 
Chris Gutierrez versus Cody Durden. Dude, what a fight, man. Uh, Cody Durden coming out strong in that first round. Had, was on Chris Gutierrez back the entire round. And Gutierrez keeps it together. You know, um, able to come back in the second round, start putting the work in. He wins rounds two and three, but round one went to Cody Durden. It was a 10-8. Uh, at least I'm 99% sure that's how it went. I might be getting the names mixed up, but that's uh -huh. how it went. <laughs> well, either way. <laughs> either way, really fun fight. Really exciting to open the card. And then Martinez versus Frankie Science, man. Um, Jonathan Martinez was able to turn it up at the end of that second round, man. Cracked Frankie Science with some tough shots, and Science just could not deal with the pressure at the end uh, of this fight in the third. Yeah, man, he looked good in there. Yeah, he was coming off a close fight uh, in his last fight, a loss to Andre Yule. Uh, so I know he was anxious to get back in the win column. I do believe he missed weight. So maybe it was those extra calories that that helped him turn up the gas in that last round. Overall, this is a fun little card, man. Um, there, was, there was a lot of unfortunate events that went on behind the scenes. Of course, Gerald Mearshart was supposed to fight Ed Herman, but Mearshart tested positive for COVID. Um, it seems he was, he was asymptomatic. Uh, he, he seems totally healthy. So he had to pull out and then Trevin Giles, when he was about to make the walk against Kevin Holland, um, fainted in the hallway Wow! and he, and he passed out. He had his eyes open, but he was unresponsive. He had to be transported to the hospital. Um, the update that I read from Trevin Giles social media was that, um, they found some some heart irregularities, so I guess he's getting some more tests done. Obviously, um, he, you know we hope everything's okay with him. I know Kevin Holland was really disappointed because he's a guy, um, you know, who's really all about getting in there as often as possible. Came off of Dana White's Contender Series, I believe, has looked really impressive uh, in the fights that he's had in the UFC so far. Um, he was calling out Ed Herman. Uh, <laughs> saying that he wanted to fight him, but apparently when Ed Herman found out that Mearshart had to pull out, he hit the bar immediately. Um, <laughs> so he was a couple of drinks in, and I don't think could have made it. Um, but I think Holland was actually serious about fighting Herman, who um, I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but the Ed Herman-Mearshart fight was supposed to be at 205. Oh, wow. And how much did Mearshart weigh in at? Was he... Uh, did he, was he at 185? I don't know if he, no, no, no. They were, the, the fight was at 205. Mearshart usually fights at 185, but yeah, Holland wanted to, wanted to fight, uh, a 205 pound Ed Herman on short notice on like, on like 10 minutes notice. That would have been a record. I don't know if they could have even pulled that off, um, because they were both sanctioned to fight, but, um, since it's not. You know, since they were already weighed in and it wouldn't be against the opponent on their bout agreement, I don't think the athletic commission would have allowed that. Um, but that would have been interesting. It would have been by far the most short notice matchup in history, at least that I can remember. If anybody wants to correct me, feel free. As always, I'm wrong all the time. I'll be the first one to tell you that. Do you think that Ed Herman hit the bar after seeing Kevin Holland's athletic display? Do you think that's what drove him to drink? Uh, he might have hit the bar after he saw all these nut shots last night. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just I was drinking to numb the pain through this card too, man. It was like 
it was like you were watching like a greatest hits, like best low blows. <laughs> it's like one fight, one fight after the other, man. And then, and then even in the main event, Derek Brunson took two and shut and shook him off. He was the only person to to check a dick shot on the whole car. <laughs> Dude, I mean, he might have just—he probably didn't want Shabazian to get any rest. He was like, "If I'm rested, he's rested. Let's do it." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "I'll ice my nuts later. I got to show this kid what's up." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there were two like pretty clean shots, and Brunson was just like, "Eh, nope." So, and maybe that's what sucked the wind out of Shabazzian's sails too. Is like, man, if I can't get him down with a dick shot, it's hopeless. <laughs> like everybody's been dropped with these tonight. I got, I got nothing else. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Um, before we get into previewing, let me tell you what I've been sipping on. And I already told you the name of it, but I'm gonna hold it up for you here. This is Michter's uh, small batch. And I, I put out on Twitter my five favorite bourbons right now, and this one is definitely sitting comfortably on the list. Uh, this is a really tasty bourbon. It kind of tastes like like a vanilla bean ice cream, like a like a melted ice cream kind of. It's it's very subtle, unlike the caramel notes that you usually get from a good bourbon. It's more vanilla forward. Uh, the nose of it is kind of like straight alcohol, so you. You kind of sniff it and you're like, oh, this is going to suck. This is going to be like rubbing alcohol. But um, I, I actually did hit this with like a couple of drops of water. It really opens it up. And then, um, yeah, those vanilla flavors are so good, man. It's just like uh, it's like drinking ice cream. And I don't even I'm not even a big ice cream guy, but I like that that it's kind of similar to ice cream. It has that familiar, like nostalgic flavor to it. So I'm really enjoying this Michter's. A uh, small batch right now. Um, so we got a, a pair of fights coming up this weekend, actually, Jeff, because Bellator is coming back. And um, what, I didn't. What is that? I don't know what that is, Bill. <laughs> well, it's this other fighting organization that used to exist uh, back before the coronavirus. Um, I didn't think I would be interested in Bellator coming back, Jeff, to be honest. But Friday night, we got a rematch between. Michael Chandler and Benson Henderson in the main event. So this is Friday, August 7th at the Mohegan Sun Arena in uh, Uncasville, Connecticut. So this is going to be the first, um, you know, mainstream fight card that's been held outside of Vegas and outside of Fight Island here. Um, uh, Bill, I, did Baltimore have another card like a week or two ago or something? Did they? If they did, I didn't even see it. <laughs> I think so, but I, I didn't want to watch it because I don't care about Bellator. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I didn't care about Benson Henderson, so I'm, I might have to check it out this weekend. Yeah, so the, the last fight was really close. It was, uh, it was a split decision win for Chandler. Um, and, and Chandler's one of these guys, man, that's just, you know, he's been one of the best lightweights in the world forever, but you know, you can't convince anybody of that because he's been in Bellator. Uh, but, you know, he's got a win over the former UFC champion, Benson Henderson. He hit a nasty suplex on Henderson in that first fight. That's been a highlight reel ever since. Um, 
And then uh, the co-main event is Matt Mitrione and Timothy Johnson. I'm not too sure who that is. But let me tell you one fight to tune in for here, Jeff. And I don't have the, the Dazen app or whatever they're putting Bellator on, so I'm going to have to find another way to watch this. But it's Curtis, pronounced it's pronounced what? Pronounced Dazen. It's pronounced don't download it because <laughs> it costs too much money for what it's worth. <laughs> um, Curtis Millender, who was recently released from the UFC, even though I I thought he was a very exciting fighter. I, I thought it was one of those unfortunate um, unfortunate parting of ways. But he's going to take on Sabah Hamasi, uh, and this is a really fun fight. You know, looking at this card, I didn't expect to see anything on this Bellator card that would really catch my eye. But uh, Curtis Millender and Sabah Hamasi is going to be a really fun fight. Those guys are going to stand up and strike it out. Um, you know, Millender is a super technical striker. Um, and Hamasi is is a, a big-time slugger. Uh, so these are the kind of matchups that I like. Um but yeah, Millinder undefeated in Bellator so far. I don't know, I don't know what that says. But yeah, he only had two two losses in the UFC. You know, he got submitted one time, and then he had a, a decision loss to Bilal Muhammad. Um, so I'm not too sure why they let him go. But um, I, I always thought that he was a top prospect. So I, I would be interested to see him fight again. A, your buddy AJ Agazarm is going to be fighting on this card against. Uh, Chris Lencioni. So they're actually putting him in there with a submission guy. Usually you see like AJ Agazarm or, or Dylan Dennis and you look at their opponent, they're like, Oh, and seven with seven submission losses. Uh, <laughs> but Chris Lencioni actually uh, very competent grappler six and two uh, and, and quite a few uh, submission wins. And then we got the former UFC fighter, miles jury on here. He's going to fight uh Georgie Karkashian. And I think there was one other one. Oh yeah, Valerie Lareda uh, is on this card as well. Um, she she's one that that Bellator's you know trying to hang their hat on. She's a, a big uh, Taekwondo fighter or, or karate fighter who has transitioned to uh, mixed martial arts, and she's she's one of these popular gals on on the Instagram. Um, Strictly for her fighting skills, Jeff. Nothing to do with, nothing to do with the way she looks. I'm sure. Um, so that's that. I I can't even tell you I'm gonna watch this card live, because uh, it that would probably be a lie. Um, but I am interested in some of these fights. I will seek them out, um, especially the Millinder Hamasi fight and uh, the main event. Um, any any thoughts on the? The Bellator, and if there was a Bellator card already, I didn't know about it, and I'm <laughs> I'm pretty in tune with what's going on in this in this community, but it, it couldn't have been very good. Yeah, I might have gotten a glimpse of it while I was flipping channels. I don't even know if it was live. I didn't stop to check. <laughs> but dude, uh, it's a shame, man, that Curtis Melinder got let go by the UFC. Man, he's so well rounded. You know, he's a good striker. He's got a couple of submission wins as well. So mm -hmm. don't get twisted, man. He can definitely mix it up. Uh, oh, man, dude, that's a shame that I didn't even know. Because uh, Curtis Melender, I feel like he's got so much potential, man. But, hey, Bellator, new stomping grounds. He can make a name for himself here. He can keep his sponsors here. Because yeah. you know how much I hate the Reebok deal. I feel yeah. like 
the fighters are losing so much money. Um, and while I think Venom is a very cool brand because uh, you know I'm a jujitsu person, you know it, it's going to be more of the same essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, I still haven't seen that deal. Have you? Have you gotten a look at it? Like, are is it going to be exclusive where the fighters can't have other sponsors, or are they bringing that back? I, I still haven't gotten clarity on that. And if, if that's the case, I think I think that's an awesome partnership. Yeah, I'm not sure yet. Um, you know, I, I, I want to do some more research once things are finalized. But, um, dude, that that card's looking good, man. Uh, you know, for the for Chandler versus Henderson too. I didn't think the first fight was was a robbery. I thought that uh, Chandler won the first three rounds very, very convincingly. And mm -hmm. Henderson, I, I felt like Henderson really came alive in the fifth round. But up until then, I felt like it took him too long to wake up, man. And if that suplex didn't wake him up, nothing will. Because he got dropped right on his head. Bill, he might have swallowed his toothpick. <laughs> yeah. That's a dangerous thing. I wonder if they've started checking him for the toothpick now when they look for his mouthpiece or if he puts it inside the mouthpiece. Like, where is he hiding that thing? <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, we got UFC on Saturday. So Bellator is Friday night. Uh, so in case you're looking for it on Saturday because you didn't even know it was happening, I totally understand. But it is on Friday. Saturday night at the UFC Apex, we have... Fight Night 174, Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek. So two top heavyweight contenders here. This one's really interesting to me, Jeff, because Olenek is just an anomaly. You know, he does things inside an MMA cage that are not supposed to be done. You know, he he's able to obtain positions um, that you're not supposed to do well in, and he submits people from them. Um. He also has very unorthodox striking and unorthodox striking is very dangerous. You know, he throws his reckless abandon because he doesn't care about getting taken down. He doesn't care about getting hit either. And we've seen him pay for that, uh, you know, getting knocked out by guys like Overeem and, and we've seen it work well for him. Like being in there with guys like Fabricio Verdum, Derek Lewis, man has looked really good in his last couple of fights because he's trimmed down. Um, he's lost some weight which I think has helped with his back pain issues like that. It's helped with his cardio. It's helped with his confidence. So you're going to see a confident Derek Lewis in there against a much more experienced Alexi Olenek, who's a tricky dude. Uh, he throws um, he, he throws like from really wild angles. And uh, this is also going to be in a smaller cage uh, at the apex, which tends to favor the grappler. But, you know, Derek Lewis only been submitted one time, and that was by Daniel Cormier uh, after Cormier just kind of wore him down. Uh, you know, we've seen him throw other grapplers around. Like, we saw him bench press Roy Nelson off the top of him from side control. I mean, <laughs> who does that? Roy Nelson, a high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and weighs 300 pounds, and Derek Lewis just threw him off him like he was a child. Uh, so... A lot of different variables I just threw at you right there, Jeff. I, I'm sure you had a couple more in your head as well. Um, so give me your thoughts on this main event. Yeah, dude. I mean, this is – dude, this is such a strange matchup, but I love it so much, man. Because Olenek, you know, kind of well-rounded, uh, more – 
more known as a grappler, but he can strike too, man. He's got some hard shots. And Derek Lewis, you know, he's got that punching power where he can put anybody to sleep. Uh, I mean, look at poor Volkov, dude. He had that fight won until Derek Lewis caught him clean. Mm -hmm. and, man, this, this is just such an interesting matchup to me because it's two fighters that I wouldn't think of having them fight each other. But now that it's here, I'm excited, and I want to see what happens. Well, I, I don't really have a pick for this one. You know, I try to, to really see who would possibly win here. But it's such a toss-up. You know, flip a coin, basically. Um, but, dude, how exciting, man. Um, you know, it's it's like this is like the Tiger King of, of the heavyweight division. It wasn't the fight that I expected to see, but now that I'm going to watch it, I'm not going to look away. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I've gone back and forth on this one myself a bunch of times. And, you know, I, I, I think about all the variables that I just brought up to you, you know, the smaller cage favoring the grappler and the odd angles from Olenek. But, uh, you know, Derek Lewis is, is not a guy that, that gets smothered easily. Plus Lewis losing the weight and granted his last two fights when he's, when he's trimmed down have gone to decision you know, we've seen him be able to push the pace leader in the fight, uh, yeah. which has been a big improvement for him. Um, I think for a while there, he was having the back issues and, and, and the weight, you know, was causing problems. And I think it was really affecting his confidence. But now that he's gotten that back, that's kind of always been his thing. You know, he's never been like the most skilled guy, he's just a guy who hits really hard and has confidence in his hands. Um, and that's a dangerous thing. Um, and the other thing that's dangerous is a guy who throws with reckless abandon because he doesn't care where the fight goes. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to Lane 99 says the podcast is consistently excellent to keep up the good work. Well, cheers Lane. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we, we do appreciate uh, people who listen consistently and we appreciate people who only listen every now and then as well too. Um, so yeah, let's get into this co-main event here, which I see I see our buddy Mark from Australia talking about in the comments. And um man, this is a tough one. Uh <laughs> this is uh it's gonna be Omari Akmedov and, and Chris Weidman. So it, it it's a tough thing for me, man, because I'm a fan of Chris Weidman. I, I'd like to see him, you know, get back to the Chris Weidman of old and, and do well again. This was, this was a guy who's on the path to be, you know, the greatest middleweight of all time. And, you know, obviously hit a lot of speed bumps from there. Um, it's a dangerous thing when you're getting in there with a killer, like Omariak Medoff, who a lot of people have not heard of, and you're a former champion. Uh, you know, Weidman has lost, five of his last six fights. Um, and, and here he is getting in there with a, a relatively unknown guy. So if you're like a casual fan, and I know there's a big stigma to that term, uh, but, you know, we love the casual fans on this show just as much as we love the hardcore fans. If you're a casual fan, you see Chris Weidman, you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Uh, Weidman's going to kill him. That's not a good thing. Um, you know, when you're someone who has the name recognition of a Chris Weidman and you're getting in there with a guy in Omari Akhmedov who, you know, a lot of people don't know, but, you know, has a win over Ian Heinish in his last fight. 
uh, before that wins over Zach Cummings and Tim Bosch went, went to a draw with Marvin Vittori, who's one of the biggest studs in the division uh, by far uh, has a win over Abdul Razak Al Hassan, a win over Kyle Noak. Um, you know, this guy has been quietly stringing together wins in this division and um, you know, Weidman has definitely seen better days. Give me your thoughts on this co-main event here, Jeff. Yeah, dude, I, I love Chris Weidman. You know, I'll always be a fan of his because he took the title at middleweight from Anderson Silva and brought it back to America, Bill. But, man, um, tough, tough ask uh, to fight Omari Akhmedov, man. Um, you know, he's been quietly racking up wins, you know, a lot of decision wins. But Tim Bosch, Zach Cummings, um, Ian Heinish, all very, very tough dudes. Um, you know, those are guys who can easily put somebody away. And even mm -hmm. to get a decision win against those three guys in a row, I feel like that that's a huge, huge accomplishment in the middleweight division. Um, I don't know, man. I love Chris Weidman, but I'm definitely, definitely worried uh, about his UFC career here because five losses out of, out of the last six, I think that if it were anybody else, they'd probably be gone. But I think those two wins against Anderson Silva, uh, the win against Lyoto Machida, and the win against um, non-TRT Vitor Belfort, um, I think that's, you know, th those are legends as well. Uh, I, but I think that, I think he's, you know, I think the UFC has got him a little bit too high up on just his laurels. Um, so I, I don't know, man. Uh, what do you think it means if he loses this one, Bill? I mean, typically, typically three losses in a row that used to be the number in the UFC where it's like you're no longer in the UFC after this. So he lost three in a row, and then he submitted Kelvin Gastelum, uh, and then he lost to Jacare. Then he moved up a weight class and got knocked out uh, by a young stud by the name of Dominic Reyes there. Um, I feel like if he gets knocked out badly in this one or, or finished, I don't see him, I don't see him necessarily getting submitted here, but if he gets knocked out again, I feel like Dana White is going to give him the Chuck Liddell treatment and, and kind of say like, Hey man, I'm not going to let you fight anymore. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on with Chris Weidman. It, you know, he's lost five of his last six, but Keep in mind, those are his only losses. You know, he was undefeated when he got in there against Anderson Silva, beat him twice. You know, at the time when Anderson Silva seemed invincible, yeah. um, you, you know, knocked him out, and then the, that nasty TKO leg injury. Um, but even his his path to the title, man, Uriah Hall, Alessio Sakara, Tom Lawler, Damian Maya, Mark Munoz. And Anderson Silva twice. And like you said, Lyoto Machida and Vitor Belfort. Um, you know, this guy's got nothing else to prove, but apparently he's not done. He doesn't feel like he's done, so he's going to get in there and do it again. I, I wish him well. Um, and, and then, you know, I like to see a guy like Akhmedov do well too and, and get the credit that he deserves. Um, and, and Akhmedov... Uh, is a guy who, you know, has fought 
at welterweight and is has recently moved up i guess you know he's he's in his 30s now i guess he had to move up so the dagestani wolverine against the all-american um it's concerning for sure I'll, i'll leave it at that um so let's get into some other things on this card here uh, if I could just pull it up because it's having some trouble loading. Jeff, do you have this card in front of you? Yep. So what do we got? What, do we, what else we got here? All right. So uh, we got Darren Stewart versus Maki Patolo. At middleweight, that looks pretty good. Video Dariush is fighting Scott Holtzman, Bill. I really like that one. Um I like Tim Means versus Loriano Staropoli. Uh, that one's going to be good. Uh, at welterweight, at lightweight, we got Nasrat Hakparas versus Alexander Munoz. Bill, I think that one's going to be a barn burner for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Gavin Tucker versus Justin Chains. Yeah, I'm with you on on uh, Hawk Paras versus Munoz. It's definitely be going to be a good one. Darius and Holtzman. Uh, the the only one that you skipped over is uh, Julia Stolarenko and Yana Konitskaya. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, Stolarenko making her UFC debut, coming over from Invicta, uh, and Konitskaya is is a, a silent assassin, man. I feel like she's been, she's having, she's had some really exciting fights, but, but doesn't really get talked about that much. Um, so I think that's going to be a fun one uh, in this uh, women's bantamweight division. So uh, Julia is on a five fight win streak. She's coming over from Invicta. I uh, had one fight in Invicta actually, and they brought her right over. Um, she, actually, she's not making her UFC debut. She has one fight in the UFC, and it was a split decision loss, but that was back in uh, November 2018. Um, so I think that'll be a fun fight. Uh, yeah, and uh, Tim Means and Loriano Steropoli, that's a good one too. Um, and then some lesser-known names towards the bottom of the card, but you know, uh, you got Andrew Sanchez in there. Um, it, you know, the, the lesser-known Fighters are always looking to put on a show because those are the hungry ones. You know, if they want you to know who they are. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, man, that's that's that. We got Bellator and UFC coming up. It's it's been um, it's been almost overwhelming how much action we've had. It was like nothing for ten or eleven weeks or something, whatever we had, and now we're back to to action every week. You know, two cards some weeks. Um, you know, we're, we're back full swing and, and luckily the UFC has been doing a good job keeping everybody safe. You know, we see major league baseball is a hot mess. They're, they're canceling games left and right because like entire teams are, are getting infected. So, you know, as we, as we move forward, you know, in hindsight, the UFC is looking better, um, for their protocols and for their safety procedures, you know, they're catching guys, you know, the, unfortunately there've been a few guys who have had to withdraw from fights, but they've been able to put on the events and keep everybody safe. And you haven't heard of anybody getting sick after the events, even from the whole fight Island thing. Um, so it's an awesome thing. I'm, I, it sucks if you watch other sports, but I don't, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it, 
if I didn't read about it in the news, I, I would have never known that baseball wasn't going on <laughs> for like, they were doing like spring training and, and they had to cancel some games and stuff. I would have, there's no way I would have known because this is the only sport I watch is MMA and, and uh, boxing occasionally. Um, yeah. So I don't know any, any thoughts on that, Jeff, with the, with the other sports. And I know the NBA is keeping like all their players inside like a, dome or something <laughs> like they have they're like have a separate community for all these guys i don't know what's going on with that uh, i don't follow basketball either but give me your thoughts Jeff. yeah dude um i don't really follow basketball either as for the baseball thing i think they have like 900 players who tested positive or something don't quote me on that because i don't care enough about baseball to actually research this but, dude, um you know in soccer uh, I've been following that pretty closely during the week because nothing else is really going on. Uh, you know, it seems like things are pretty under control in 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 the soccer world. Um, a lot of seasons in a lot of other countries just wrapped up, uh, and then starting this weekend coming up, they're wrapping up the European Championships. So uh, it should be fun. Um, you know, hopefully everybody's staying safe because now uh, in the European Championships, uh, everything's been going well for local championships. Now uh, they're so all the so for the European Championships, the first there are about two rounds left before the semifinals. So they're going to go into um, they're going to play in certain stadiums, and then the last two rounds. I think for semifinals and the finals, they're all going to be in Lisbon, which is where the final is going to be anyway. So I'm curious to see how that works out with players traveling from other countries. Uh, so hopefully everything is under control. Uh, but Bill, I got to get this out there, man. I'm a little concerned about the state of education right now, just because uh, you know it's it's crunch time. You know we got school districts have to let parents know what we're doing. But Bill, I got to be honest with you. I'm okay whichever way we end up going. I miss being in the classroom, you know, with my kids. So I'm happy if we're if we're back in the classroom. And if we're not, you know, if we're doing everything online, I'm happy to just be working, man. I mean, we went through all of quarantine and then summer vacation happened. Bill, I'm losing my mind over here. <laughs> yeah, uh, the education one is tricky, man, because, you know, it, it's tough because people have their kids at home and, and they have to get back from work or they're trying to work from home and you, you got to worry about childcare for your kids. But at the same time, you want everybody to be safe. You don't want to put the teachers at risk and the staff at risk. Um, so maybe like online learning is the way to go, but you know, how do you, you know, this Jeff, it's hard enough to control 30 kids in a classroom when they're right in front of you and they can see you and read your body language and everything like that. How are these kids really getting an education? Um, you know, doing it over over Zoom or FaceTime or or whatever tools the teachers have at their di disposal. It would have to be the parents would have to be on top of the kids and making sure they're actually participating in the classes and doing the work. And you know, if you're a parent that works a full time job, that's just too big of an ask. Um, you, you know, obviously, being a teacher isn't being a babysitter. I don't want I want to make that distinction. Um, but at the same time, it's a, it's a crucial role for kids to be, you know, supervised by somebody while their parents work. 
um, and, and learn something in the process. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a super tricky thing. And, and, um, you know, we got to touch on it cause it's, it's going on, but you know, at the same time, we, we don't like to get too political on here, but whatever you guys are thinking out there, you know, let us know about it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we are willing to talk about anything here. It's not just fighting and booze, although it's, you know, 98%. We were talking about Disney at the beginning of the show. I was doing my Norwegian accent. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bill, the way I see it, no matter what happens, it's like, yoo-hoo, somebody's going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. There's always those. And um, we don't get too many of them, Jeff. Like, every every now and then somebody's upset with us. But I think because it doesn't bother us ever that they just move on to somebody that they get a rise out of, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I consider myself untrollable. <laughs> It's because it it never bothers me. Like if you have such shitty things to say about me, I know that it's just because your life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so it does it doesn't bother me, and that's why I think I think people don't don't target me that much. Um, either that, or I'm just I'm just the nobody that that. I <laughs> you know, it's probably some combination of the two. But I'll tell myself it's the former. Um, just, just to make myself feel better. Um, in any case, whatever you guys want to talk about, let us know, and we're up for it. We're always willing to adapt and, and make changes and talk about different things. And you know, we we enjoy talking about you know just going over the fight cards every week. But sometimes it's fun to have some different things too. Uh, if you have any suggestions, you want to reach out to us. You get a hold of Jeff Animal underscore Wilson Twitter and Instagram. And you get hold of me at MMA on the Rocks everywhere else. If you want to grab yourself an MMA on the Rocks t-shirt, uh, you could just um, check the show notes down below if you're watching the video or in your podcast description. I'll be put, posting the direct link there, and you can grab yourself an over-the-top, under-the-influence t-shirt. Uh, we definitely appreciate everybody who supports the show in that way and every other way, leaving reviews, leaving comments, sharing the episodes, getting the word out there. Building this MMA on the Rocks community, we appreciate all of it. So thank you very much. I also uh, started doing cocktail recipes again. I'm trying to do short ones, one-minute cocktails. Uh, I have a recent one up on my Instagram right now. If you guys want to see more of that, uh, let me know as well. I think I've been – I'm thinking about doing like maybe a weekly or every other week uh, one-minute cocktail recipe. So uh, just just fun things. Um you know, we like to keep it light here. All right. That's all we got. So until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.